Welcome to the Her Inspired Journey podcast. I'm your host, Courtney Levesque. I'm here to bridge the gap for women in the outdoors, support families, and roll out your weekly dose of positive vibes. With almost two decades in the health and fitness world and an untamable passion for hunting in the outdoors, my mission is to help you move boldly in the direction of your dreams. Join us here weekly as we talk about fitness and mindset, accountability, as well as all things hunting and epic untold stories. This podcast is brought to you by Wilderness Athlete, high quality supplements for rugged individuals. Wilderness Athlete has been making the best supplements that will give you an edge in the wilderness, the gym, and life for the last 17 years. Head to wildernessathlete.com to see their products and use the code no excuses to save money and support you on your way to your best health. Also brought to you by Baku eBikes. Baku is building top quality eBikes, helping you get farther and enjoy the hunt. Find more at Baku.com. That's B-A-K-C-O-U.com. You can use the code HerOutdoorJourney to save a few hundred dollars on your new electric bike. South Dakota is expanding pheasant hunting's horizons and giving sportswomen a greater voice in the field. The connection to nature, the adrenaline of the hunt, the satisfaction of eating the game you bag. Hunting is our shared legacy. Everyone is welcome to enjoy it. Go to huntthegreatestsd.com to hear stories from women who hunt and learn what makes South Dakota the world's pheasant capital. That's huntthegreatestsd.com. South Dakota, sportswomen welcome. And we are live. (laughs) We are recording in the bedroom for lack of better places to do it without a dog that won't get crazy. Uh, I'm excited actually to record this one because I get to record with you who the world hasn't actually been formally introduced to yet. Dustin Preeti, my fiance as of September moose hunt, which we're going to talk about. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Oh, this is gonna be so good. If you are listening to this episode, I highly suggest that you watch the YouTube because it will probably be awkward and funny and, uh, not at all. Make other people feel really normal. I don't know. Cool. So things I want to talk about. Who's Dustin Prady? Give us the like the 30,000 foot view of your life where you grew up and how all of a sudden we're in Sitka, Alaska. Grew up in Dixon City, Pennsylvania. Um, joined the Coast Guard when I was 18 and been in the Coast Guard ever since. So 22 years of service and here we are. And they're Sitka. <laughs> pissed off he's not in here so this is kind of a funny story what inspired you to join the coast guard Baywatch. why saving babes on the beach right absolutely <laughs> i didn't know what i wanted to do in school uh school really wasn't for me so talking to my buddy addison we had a lawn care business together and i was like we we're thinking we we're in 10th grade and i was like what are you gonna do he's like i'm gonna join the coast guard i was like what the hell is the coast guard he's like you know that helicopter on Baywatch? i'm like oh yeah i could do that that seems pretty cool so that's exactly what I did. I worked on 65 dolphin helicopters for 20 years and rescued babes on the beach. Nice. Well, yeah. it's not where he met me, actually. <laughs> the story's way better. We met on Instagram, but yeah, that's pretty cool. So after you joined at 18, where did you go? Kind of what was that layout for you? All the places that you've gotten to see so far? Uh, my first station after boot camp was in New Bedford, Massachusetts. I highly do not recommend going to visit there. <laughs> Sorry if you live there. Coast Guard cutter, but. Uh, was not very nice place to live. And then I uh, was on that for a year. 
and then went to Tulsa, Oklahoma for school, for aviation schooling. And then uh, after that, I went to Puerto Rico and got to try my hand in surfing for a year and then went to North Bend, Oregon for a few years and then headed to Atlantic City, New Jersey. And then finally to the motherland of Kodiak, Alaska and got to spend six years there and then went back to North Bend, Oregon for nine months while I was waiting to make warrant officer and then went to Eureka, California to Humboldt Bay. And now we are in Sitka, Alaska. What's been your favorite place? Kodiak. Yeah. Hands down. Hunting and fishing, hands down. Yeah. 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 It's pretty cool, though. I think one of the things that's really great about military and what you do is that you've got to see so many different places. You know, at a young Mm -hmm. age, you get to enlist and just go. And maybe if you don't know what you want to do or kind of where you're going to end up, like, I think it's a great way to see a lot that's out there. Like, I know that's one thing I really think about with the kids is I don't want them to always just see our small hometown or just Oregon you know I want them to be able to see other places because I think that's when you get to really figure out like what you like and don't like and you get to understand that outside of your little tiny place like things are very different yeah it allows you to become super adaptive and it's hard leaving friends but you have lifelong friends like people that grow up in small towns or not even small towns but stay in the town their whole life they have a big circle of friends but I have small circles of friends all over the country. And I mean, I still am in contact with two of the guys that were on my cutter with me 22 years ago, you know, and they still come up to Alaska fishing and stuff like that. So, and then uh, just being able to go hunting and stuff and fishing with those friends and yeah, just lifelong friends. We don't keep in contact all the time, but it's like we picked up the phone and it was yesterday we were talking. So, and it's, that's something for me that I feel like is really scary because where you've got to like develop that, skill to be a little bit more like adaptable to your surroundings because even like within the states culturally things are very different like you go to the east coast or you the midwest like you can just feel the vibe there is different the people are different oh absolutely you know and so for me as somebody that's grown up my entire life basically within the same little tiny town you know i live four driveways from my parents so it's not like i went super far. But then when I think about going to see like new state, new town, new people, new, you know, it's like new coffee shop, new dinner place. Like that to me is kind of like hard to break into that. But I do think it's really a good skill to be able to go different places and just kind of like mesh right in, mold right into those people. Yeah. One memory that comes to mind is when I graduated a school in Tulsa, Oklahoma, my sister flew out to drive back with me and northeastern pennsylvania people are kind of cutthroat and uh she was there for like two hours maybe she's like man people are so nice here like holding doors open and right. stuff because you just you don't see that in the northeast they're honking horns and whipping you off and stuff like that and mm-hmm. everyone in oklahoma was so nice and it was just it, it was cool to see her recognize that yeah. you know and yeah that's something honestly like i was saying like just getting the boys out to experience different things mm-hmm. i remember the first time i went to like kentucky and i was like this place is amazing. Everybody's so nice. And there's just like that, you know, a little bit of that Southern charm, but everybody there is just, they want to know how you're doing. They ask how you're doing and They, it seems like they care, you know, like just yeah, it's it's genuine. different, yep. like at home, you know, in Oregon, it's everybody is, I mean, there's a lot of weirdness, but it's also, maybe that's why people are so reserved and they're not very outgoing towards a stranger because there's so much craziness there that they kind of have those walls up. I don't know, but yeah. I know when I was in New Jersey, I'd walk Sika around the loop where I lived and I would say hi to this gentleman every day. And he would look at me like I was crazy and be like, 
good afternoon. And he would just <laughs> kind of shun me. And I think it took like six months for him to finally say yeah. hello back or how you doing? I was like, yeah, different, different people, different places. That's yeah, for sure. Absolutely. So talk a little bit about, uh, Sitka, how things are going here. Um, we're going to be here for a little while, just kind of first impressions basically of the, the town, but also the feel for hunting and fishing so far. Southeast Alaska is a little different than the rest of Alaska. That's definitely for sure. Um, I prefer Kodiak further north than all the weather and rain here, but making the best of it. Town is nice, clean, um, just small town, but uh, fishing is good. We had a little learning curve this summer trying to find the halibut, but salmon are easy to come by. And then the hunting is definitely more challenging than Kodiak and even, you know, up in the mainland. It's definitely bluffy, rugged here, mm-hmm. and a lot of blowdown. It definitely needs a forest fire. It does. We actually went out yesterday. Um, just a quick kind of outing. Couldn't take the boat out. We were supposed to get some weather in, and so it just didn't look like it was going to be optimal conditions to take the boat out to another part of the island. And so we just found that and there's not a lot of access here. Um, at least in my comparison of Oregon, where there's like lots of logging roads and there's lots of, you know, access there here. There's, I don't know, 14 miles of road. There's 14 miles of road. And if you want to go basically explore something, you either leave kind of from town or you go take the boat, you know, to a beach and then go in from there. Um, so it's been very different for me because although I think sometimes access can be a detriment to hunting, to some degree. Yep. It's also really nice because it gets you places where you can then start and go out. Um, well, it gives you options. Definitely gives you options. I mean, yesterday morning we tried going somewhere and there was a truck at the trailhead beat us there. So we had to go with kind of plan B that we really didn't have. So we had to just throw it together. Mm-hmm. And there, you know, I think we're finding a few more trails here and there where, you know, people have cut in in the years prior or, you know, there's some recreating trails and stuff too, but it is a little different here. We went out yesterday, whether it ended up not being that bad, we probably could have taken the boat out, Definitely. but, um, <laughs> it's crazy because I did grow up in the Pacific Northwest. So that kind of like Western Oregon, jungly blow down vine maple, ugh, I kind of get that, but it is different here. There was at one point yesterday, I felt like a bowling ball on like a, uh, when they have the lanes up, you know, and you're just kind of pinging back and forth, like everything's so slippery and, you know, it's just hard to get really good footing here. So, uh, it was kind of a bust yesterday, but I mean, we did what, seven miles and got to climb a little bit and took the weapons for a walk. So that was nice, but you did get a, your first Baranoff Island Sitka Blacktail last weekend. So that was cool. Got to make some jerky and I think we're going to try to get a little bit more of that done. Hopefully be able to do that for next year. Hopefully my goal, I really want to be able to make, um, so when it comes to like backcountry hunting or just any snacky, like outdoorsy kind of stuff. Um, the one thing I find routinely that I have to buy are bars and jerky. So I'm thinking if we can get enough and we we do now, we really do have enough, but it'd be nice to just dedicate an animal or a couple animals to just doing some of the, the whole muscle jerky. And then also we just bought the, um, made with meat, uh, jerky gun or whatever they call the bite gun or whatever. So we're going to make some of those. That'll be fun. The R and D for that's pretty tasty so far. Yes, it is. I want to make some spicier stuff, but if you guys are listening and you have any good, uh, recipes for, um, homemade jerky or any family favorites, we would love to hear them. Let's talk Alaska. Let's talk Fairbanks, moose hunt, caribou hunt, fly in, Alaska. Okay. 
So uh, we decided this year we were going to put in for muskox and for caribou tag. Yep. And really, I thought there was no way in hell that we would draw even putting in for that. Ten years. Ten years. And uh, apparently I'm his good luck charm. Um, <laughs> so we put in for that. And February 19th, we got the tag. Yep. Drew the tag. And then uh, immediately called right air. Um, it was like 830. I think I was at work. I called them and they only had one spot left. So call the I was like, I'll call you right back. Called a few other air charters that I had recommendations from. They really didn't have any spots. And so I was like, I'll just book it and we'll go to that strip. And it just kind of, I don't know, this year I was at Barney's before my sheep hunt and Kevin was talking to me. He's it's like, you all excited about sheep? I was like, I'm just at ease with this hunting season. I wasn't really, I didn't scout a lot like I normally do. Normally I do tons of e-scouting, looking at maps, kind of like here, there. And then this year, just all my hunts, I was just like at ease, at peace with it. So just happy to take it how it came. And so, yeah, I just took that spot with uh, right air and had an amazing pilot, great guy. Um, hope to fly with him again. Flew into the first strip where we were supposed to go, and there was three tents there. I was like, shit, this is not good. And uh, he immediately is like, you don't want to go here. I was like, no, I don't. He's like, well, let's go land at this other strip right close to here and I'll see where else we could take you. So I was grateful for that, for him to, you know, kind of look out instead of just kicking us out and say, well, this is where you're supposed to go. Come up with a plan, went to another landing strip, flying in, he's making his approach and there was another tent there. So I was like, oh man, this is just not working out. So He's like, well, let's just land and talk to him, see what they're hunting for. So we land and you could see that guy that was sitting at the landing strip glass <laughs> and his his morale just dropped. He's like, oh, but yeah. uh, we got out and talked to him and they were moose hunting. They saw a few small cow caribou, but weren't really seeing anything. And this being your and Gabe's first backcountry experience, I really didn't want to share that camp. It would have been OK. We probably could have yeah. um, worked with them and but I just didn't want that experience for you guys. So I asked them to take us somewhere else. And he's like, Oh, I got another spot. So we take off and <clears throat> go in that spot. He's like, there's probably not that many caribou, but there's moose. So I was just happy to have the, the wilderness to ourselves and not have mm -hmm. to share a landing strip. So I was like, we'll take it. Even though I waited 10 years for that caribou tag, but kind of, we had moose tags. So we we're good with it. We had grizzly bear tags and wolf tags. So I was good with it. And then uh, it worked out in our favor. Yeah. So it was actually your suggestion. Um, the morning that we drew the tag, uh, you called me and you said, we should take the boys. What do yeah. you think? And, um, you know, for some people, that's crazy. That's a crazy idea, right? For other people, that's, you know, that's what they do. That's a family affair in the backcountry. Um, for our kids, that was a whole new experience. They've been hunting, they've been camping a ton. They've been doing a lot of that kind of stuff, but there's a difference in, I think, their mental perception of what a hunting trip is when you go to the airport and you get in a plane and you pack everything that you're going to need for 10 days and you go get dropped off remotely. Well, it's not a hunting trip, it's an adventure. Yeah. You know, it's a lifelong, you can never hit the delete button. There's images scarred in your brain, good or bad. <laughs> scarred, yeah. <laughs> it's just, yeah, yeah, you can't forget it. Yeah. Well, and I just think that's, it's just such an incredible thing to be able to, to witness that as an adult, to be able to go somewhere remotely and just like really just 
dive headfirst into that, you know? Um, and I really appreciated your, you, know, you and the pilot together going a few different places because, you know, even if you know there's somebody five miles over, if you don't ever see or hear them, mm -hmm. you feel alone. You yep. feel this like solitude of being out there. And I think for me, having that mental realization of that insignificance of life, like my life out there doesn't really mean anything. No. Like it might to you or to my kid, but in the grand scheme of things, like I am so in insignificant out there. And that's one thing that I really love about remote hunting, no matter where you are, backcountry, Idaho, or, you know, whatever, just that like soul filling vulnerability of just like, well, this is it. Yeah. I'm, I could be dinner. I could have dinner. Like who knows what it'll be. You're so. a very small piece of the puzzle. Yeah. Doesn't matter how big you think you are. You're yeah. very small. And I think the very first time that I went in um, sheep hunting in Alaska, uh, I, I had that feeling a little bit like on some other backcountry hunts, but for me, it was more so in, in that experience in Alaska. And I think maybe some of that had to do with how vast. Well, when the plane flies away, you're not hiking out. Like there's rivers you can't cross. So you are, you're there. Mm -hmm. you know, and you're a product of your surroundings. You cannot on a hike in sheep hunt or whatever hunt you could hike out because you hiked in. Right. But on a fly sure. in, so there's rivers you can't cross. Like unless you're going to Tom Sawyer build a raft and float down it, you're not getting out of there. Yeah. So, yeah, no, it's very true. And I think Gabe had a really good time. Um, I think that was my favorite part of the hunt was watching him grow day by day. Like at the end, like first he was a little, hesitant and then at the end he was like jeremiah johnson you know he's like i'm fine out here let me alone mm -hmm. you know he was well he did he had such confidence about you know going he just wanted to go explore he wanted mm -hmm. to just go for a walk by himself you know and, and we're out here and he's just like oh, it's fine i'll just go you know and to me that's amazing because i grew up and my dad was fantastic but he always allowed me maybe to to be fearful and not to say fear is bad. I don't think a healthy amount of fear is a bad thing at all, but you know, it was, he would, he, or maybe it was me. I don't even know. Honestly, maybe it was a combination, but I always felt a little bit of fear being on my own. Even if he and I were to go out to go like mule deer hunting and he would walk this way and I'd walk that way. I could always pretty much see him, you know, even at like 13, 14 years old, Gabe, since he was like 10, I'll take him shed hunting. And he's just like, all right, I'm out of here. You know? And I'm like, if I can't, I need to see you and hear you. Like we're not in sage fields. We're not in open country. We are in thick Pacific Western Oregon crap, you know? And so he's just totally comfortable. And I think it's hard for me to figure out where to like nurture that or where to help him understand the, the order of business out there. Like, you know, there are things that you should be careful of. And at the same time, I want him to always feel confident going to do that on his own. And I think he's developing into a woodsman and, you know, he's learning that every day he's out in the woods and developing those skills. And I think it's going to be harder for you to keep him back close to you. Cause I think he's going to continue yeah. to wander, yeah. you know, and he was building fires, doing everything himself, you know, packing moose me. And yeah. Yeah. I'm like, you want a lighter? He's like, I want flint and steel. You know, he's yeah. just, he just has that drive to learn and be a part of it and also just to like embrace it i can't tell you how many times he said my mom this is so beautiful and not in the way where he's just like 
spilling something. He's just like, you could tell he felt it, you know, in his bones. He's like, this is amazing. This is so beautiful. And for me, that was absolutely like my favorite part. Not that getting engaged, she wasn't (laughs) fantastic, but honestly, just watching his excitement for it grow over the, you know, eight days that we were there because from the first day, yeah, there was a little trepidation and he was a little bit like a little bit more cautious. And Mm -hmm. as time went, he was just like, y'all can go home. Like I got this. And I think he actually said at one point, I just want to live here. Yeah. And I'm like, it's beautiful. Right. So you're, we're kind of on the top of this knob and you can see these beautiful sheep mountains and down into this Valley where all the birch trees are changing colors. And well, and even like packing moose at the first moose, he was like, eh, not loving the tussocks and stuff, you know, and then kind of explaining to him, this is a good suck. And, you know, just kind of learn to deal with it and just get to that next push 200 yards away. And then he was leading the pack train out, you know, he just kind of took off from there and packing my moose out. He's like, Oh, we got this. We just have to get to that hill and yeah. we're good to go. So yeah, just his whole mental shift changed, you know? Yeah. Well, I think it's, it's true though, to say that either adults and or kids, you can push yourself so much farther and harder than you think that you can you know Mm -hmm. when i think people and myself included previous to this and even now honestly there were times yesterday hiking where i go maybe i just don't want to hike anymore you know there are there are moments i think within all of that but i think you just kind of have to make this like almost like we have to make achievable goals yes exactly you can't look i gotta go all the way to there it's I need to go 200 yards to that bush. Yep. I need to go to that ridge top. And then it's not, I need to go two miles back to the camp. Two miles sounds far, you know, 200 yards. You're like, I got that. I could suffer through this. Mm-hmm. And then just those small victories add up and then you're done at the end. It's funny too, because as we're saying that, I was thinking on this, uh, it was one of the legs of packing out my bull. So it was the first pack out. It was the first bull that we had packed out on this trip. And I can't remember. I think it was the second to last load. And I was in my mind and I don't know if I was kind of just screwed up or not paying that close of attention. I thought we ended up on this little bit of a moose trail that I thought was like literally so close to camp. I'm like, we're almost there. And I'm just like, I've got all, I'm like happy now. You know, I'm smiling. I'm like, even telling Jess, I was like, dude, we're so freaking close. And then we come out and I see this valley and I realize that we're not where I thought we were. And then I was just like, (laughs) no, it was terrible after that. But I don't know. I think you just go into those modes where it's such a mental game that. Yeah. I kind of always, all my hunts, I'm like, I look forward to that. I call it good suck. Like you're successful, you know? Yeah. And I look forward to that pain. Maybe that says something about me, but I don't know. Going back to camp light isn't any fun. Well, it's fun sometimes. I think it's fun sometimes. I don't mind it all the time. No, not that you have to kill something every time, but I just, it's just the, that's the reward. I think, you know, it's kind of the dues you have to pay, but you know how freaking proud Gabe is now. Oh yeah. You know how many times I've heard him say I've packed out two moose in Alaska, you know, he's freaking, and he should be like, we didn't baby him. You know, we let, we read how he was feeling and there was a part of me. I do remember feeling like, is this too much for him? And is at what point am I going to have to cut the line in the sand and be like, no, this is too much, you know, as far as how far we were going or how much he was packing. And really I just read him and he did a great job of kind of. Well, I think 
we used him as a benchmark to set the tempo of the hunt, you know, because I know when we first drew, I was like, we go in the sheep mountains, you know, go after some really big caribou. I know there's some monsters in there and you you didn't want to take the boys in the sheep country yet. You know, you just didn't want to have that worry for a back, first backcountry hunt. So I respected that. So we just shifted and we kind of gauged him and he yeah. did awesome. He did so good. Now he wants to go sheep hunting next year with him. He does. Now he's asking Dustin if he's going to be a sheep hunting buddy and he wants to go in. And that's a little bit of a different thing for me. And I honestly feel like sheep hunting sheep country is easier than moose country for me only because I can climb easier than I like to work on that tussocks and the instability of that kind of stuff. So for me, that's easier. But then you think about balance and cliffs and rocks and shale and all that kind of stuff that makes it for me. I'm like, yeah, no problem. When I think about my kid being there, I'm like, Ooh, I don't know about that. That doesn't feel super great to me. Well, you get sketchy situation pretty quick too. sheep hunting, Mm -hmm. especially if you, you know, shit a ram and it falls somewhere and you have to go get it. And that's where you kind of, you're getting pushed to where you didn't want to go or plan to Mm -hmm. go, you know, it's almost having those and not like, you know, yes, sometimes you can see, you know, a ram or an animal in an area where you kind of can anticipate if you shoot at what could happen, Mm -hmm. but there's other times you can't necessarily predict how they're going to fall, where they're going to fall, the shoot that they'll be in. I shot a goat in Kodiak with my bow and shot it a little far back and he ended up going and dying on some cliffs and, I couldn't get to him that day. I had to hike out, go get some repelling gear and get some friends to come back and help me. And we rappelled down to retrieve the goat the next morning. But yeah, that definitely wasn't my plan when I shot him because where I shot him was great country, but he just kind of made it to the cliffs and kind of found a little bench to die on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So back to this moose hunt, this caribou hunt turned moose hunt. As it turns out, we never saw any caribou in there. No. We... Potentially could have hiked up into the mountains and been a little bit more mobile, carried camp around with us and potentially had some opportunities. We ended up seeing a couple hunters coming out that had also been in there for 10 days, I think it was, or eight days or something like that. And they'd seen one, I think, or maybe two caribou in there. So it wasn't a great spot for that. But fortunately, um, I was able to... Uh, so Dustin being resident has a little bit different scenario with tags for me. And I talked about this on the previous podcast with Jess Crane, Jessica Crane, um, in Alaska and correct me on anything that I say that I'm misspeaking on, um, Refer so, the regulations. so always, always read the regs and double read the regs. But, um, so we drew the permit for caribou correct. and then I was able to, because this area was a moose over the counter. It was a harvest ticket. Yep. It was a harvest ticket. So I was able to buy the moose tag. tag. Yep. And then I was able to use that on caribou if we saw it. Or, Correct. Because anyway, yeah. it's greater value. Yep. So it's greater value. So again, I spent like an extra $200, but it gave me kind of both options. I couldn't shoot both, but I could shoot either moose or caribou. So that I think as somebody coming in as a non-resident, you know, though you're spending a little bit more up front, you kind of like almost double your opportunity for what and you can And I would definitely harvest. recommend anyone to do that if they're in a going on a caribou hunt and there's a harvest ticket for moose. Like, why not? It's an extra $200. Caribou, feast or famine, they're either you're swimming in them or you're not, you know, and at least it gives you another opportunity to harvest something like that. And then you could even harvest a black bear with that as well. Mm-hmm. So it just, it broadens your tag mm-hmm. of what you could harvest. Definitely does. So for people listening who will say, this is an absolute dream hunt of mine. I want to go hunt moose or, you know, I want to go and have a similar experience. 
But I think a lot of people, again, feel like either financially or logistically, it's too much, it's too big, they can't wrap their head around it. What would be your suggestions on kind of making that a realistic thing for someone? Start reading. Um, I really like the rock slide form. Get on rock slide and start reading about it. There's tons of people do it. Both sites, another good form. Kind of look into what other people have done, learn from other people's mistakes and let them spend the money and then kind of go from there. Um, Try to find a pilot or transporter that goes off attack time versus a flat rate because that uh, definitely helps you out. So what does that mean? So like a lot of sheep transporters now, they're flat rate. It's I want to go on a sheep hunt. It's X amount of dollars. Well, doesn't matter what drainage. No, it doesn't. They don't care how much tack time they're putting on their plane. It's just they charge a flat rate. Um, like in Kodiak or Ride Air, the bigger places like that, they charge tack time. So how much flight time you're paying for. Now, you're <clears throat> if you're calling for flight time, it's four trips, even though they're because they're going to drop you off. Then they have to fly back to the base camp or their, you know, airport. So if they tell you it's $800, make sure you ask, is that per leg or is that per, you know, total or per per flight, right? Just so you're you're not caught off guard at the end. But yeah, typically they'll tell you what strip you want to go to. Or, you know, I know in Kodiak, they go by lakes or wherever you want to go and it's tack time. Gotcha. So if somebody's looking at the maps and they're, you know, looking at an area, okay, this is an area that I can go in, I can buy my locking tag. Got any suggestions from there? Like pick a spot on the map or are you looking for something specific? All right, you guys, I just want to interrupt this episode for a quick minute to talk about a big sale Baku e-bikes has going on. November 19th through the 29th, when you buy any model bike, you get $300 off. You get the compact gear trailer, the GoPro Lumen headlight, which is uh, 2200 lumens, which is fan-freaking-tastic when you're out there trying to get back and it's after dark. Uh, you also get the phone mount case, the trail side repair kit, and their side saddle bags, which are pretty legit for helping um, just get a few more things in and out of the field. That's over $1,100 in savings going on for the Black Friday sale. Uh, again, that's November 19th through the 29th. Um, just head over to backcoo.com, B-A-K-C-O-U.com, and take advantage of this killer sale. All right, now let's get back into the show. For moose, um, there's so much logistics that go into it. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing for moose hunt. Like caribou hunt, I think is way easier to do um, just because it's like an elk. Yeah, they're big, but you can manage them. You know, it's a small elk. Yep. Uh, deer is easy, you know, for going to Kodiak. If you want to go to deer hunt or come down the Barren Off for deer hunt or Prince of Wales. Black bear, again, pretty easy, but a moose is so big. There's so much, so much logistics on the back end of once you get back to the airport on what you're going to do with it. So that's when people really need to do their homework and have their ducks in a row before they go and shoot a trophy moose, show up at the airport back in Fairbanks or wherever they're at, you know, out of Bethel or whatever, and then be like, all right, now what do I do? So, well, even in the field. So, it's one thing to be glassing and to find the animal that you want, but there has to be, it's, it's really hard because there's a line where you go, Oh, it's too far. Yeah. You know, which is, which is crazy. Cause that, that's a kind of a small, that's kind of a small window from camp or from the, you know, from the trailhead, from the airstrip, wherever you're going to be. 
for us, mine was like 2.1 miles. Well, the rule of thumb for moose hunting is one mile from camp or the river, you know, but my whole plan was to propose to you after the moose. So we saw the moose at two miles. So we're going two miles. I'll pack it. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> so we had to make it happen or I had to make it happen. So I was willing to pack the moose a little bit. Oh, there. you're so cute. Yeah. I love you. <laughs> I didn't know that. That is so he's like, yeah, well, good thing. It was only two miles. Yeah. I mean, it could have been a proposal with a punishment out at the end of my it. My back still hurts. I have physical therapy this week, so that's good. Yeah. Um, but no, you really do. So after we um, got mine down and got it packed out, got the last load back to camp, which I kind of want to talk about the last load back to camp. Um, we still had five days. Yeah. But then we set our limit to one mile. Then we miles. set our limit. Then we set our limit. Yep. But so we... Uh, I don't know. I can't, my concept of time sometimes is so terrible, but we ended up packing mine out and we get the second to last load. It's 2.1 miles per as a crow load, flies as a crow flies per, per load. And we piggybacked it a little bit, but, um, we, and we're grinding, you know, Jess in the last podcast talked about that moment where she was really like at that at that point, at least she's at a breaking point. She was just like, she was inching up on that, just physically, mentally, just kind of overloaded. It was a long, you know, couple days. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it, the weather was just getting really crappy. It was pretty rainy. I mean, not terrible conditions, just not favorable, not fun to be in. And we get back to camp and we had planned that that was going to be our last load for the day. Yep. So, what you know, once you plan, once you're mentally, like you have your mind wrapped around the fact that, Okay, as soon as I get back that last I'm little done. bit, I'm done. Dinner, food, hang out, relax. Well, as it turned out, we got back and we had a tent set up. It was like our meat tent. It was a little ways from our where we were camping. And we dumped the meat over in there. And, the, and then the sun came out. And it just you could just tell like it was going to break off. The weather was going to be good. It was going to stop raining. And the next day on the weather, we pulled up the Onyx weather and it was looking like it was going to be pretty crappy, windy and rainy and just not great. And I remember looking at you, it was just you and I over the meat um, tent, putting stuff away. Jess and Gabe were over by the, the fire, the um, campfire, just kind of sitting down. And I remember saying to you, like, I think everybody might kill me, but (laughs) I think we should do the next pack out now. And that was 100% the right call. And it was, but at the time it was really hard to make that call because I knew how tired everybody was. I was that tired myself, but I knew had we waited our meats out there one more day being kind of vulnerable, it could be getting wet, you know, in the game bags, um, tomorrow could be really miserable. And so (laughs) I remember walking over and you, you, I think you had a little bit of like reservation, but you also knew like, yeah, I wanted to go. I just didn't know how much we could push Gabe and Jess. Yeah. And that was the thing too. We also didn't want to leave them I don't there. Want to crush your spirits. So if we had left them there, you know, they're you know they're by themselves, and then also we've got at least two more trips if it's just us, which I was willing to do, but just wasn't sure what the. So we walked over there to the campfire, and I remember saying, "Please don't hate me, but I really think maybe we should talk about going to get the last load." And they were total troopers. There was a small hesitation in all of us, but yeah, we ended up getting getting geared back up and eating some food and going back and it was a really good call because that night the weather got shitty yeah it did rain wind and they had you saw the um fulfillment in their face you know when they got back at the camp like wow we just did that like we're done with that 
Yeah. And then- Little did they know <laughs> that uh, there would be another. So, okay. So then, yes, we get back that night and there was, there was just like this, there was so much joy in the camp. Yeah. We, we had uh, tenderloin or backstrap over the fire, just cooked it on a flat rock. And it was just, oh, it was amazing. We just, everybody felt good. Like yeah. there was such a sense of an accomplishment that night. And then the next morning, all night long was really, really windy, really rainy, just pouring. And so um, I think we all kind of slept in just a little bit that morning. Yeah. We got up, we looked, it was pretty much fogged in and, and crappy. And then we got a little break. So Destin and I just put on some clothes real fast, took our glass, walked over to our little knob where we were glassing from and just kind of looked around. And we ended up seeing a few moose. Yeah, we saw a couple of bulls. There was some down in the valley, I think, with cows. And then, you know, we saw a really good amount of moose while we were there. We, for, we were pretty fortunate. For, I mean, honestly, more than I thought we were going to see. And then, so we went back and it just rained and rained and rained. And we colored. And I brought um, coloring books and dice and card games for just a little morale while we were there, which I think was really good um, for Gabe, especially. And then it broke off again. And you and I went out and we were trying to like, as we're glassing, we're not, we're not only looking a mile, we're looking at everything, but we're really keeping in mind as we're seeing things and potential opportunities to go chase, like where that line is for us. How much that last pack out sucks. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I don't know. There's a, maybe you agree, but when you're determining the level of suck that you can do, it's one thing. Yeah. When you're determining the level of suck you're about to bring somebody else into, it's a whole different ball game. You I'm not worried about. I don't care if you hate me. That's fine. <laughs> Your level of suck, that's fine. But Gabe, yeah, I was definitely worried Gabe about. Gabe and Jess, you know, yeah. I just, I, and, and not to say that they could not do, not to say they were complaining. No, I just not want to put them through it. But yeah, you just, you feel a little bit of a responsibility to like really assess the whole scenario. And so that second time we went out, we ended up seeing two, two good bulls. Yeah. Um, looked like they were bedded within a mile, but it did not look like we're, so there was going to be a lot more elevation gain, ascent, descent where they were at, but they looked good enough that it was definitely worth us shot. at least going to like the next few ridges to kind of see what was down below. You know, we had onyx so we can kind of see on the maps what it looked like, but there's a difference in actually putting your eyes on how thick is that going to be? How steep is that going to be? What's that water going to be like? When it was in the afternoon too, I don't remember exact time, but I think it was like three o'clock and then they were going to stay at camp. We just said, Hey, we'll message you on the onyx if we, you know, and they're like, you're going after a moose. I do remember walking back to camps. Hey guys, (laughs) we're going to go for a little walk, you know, and there was so much silence. And actually after the fact, they both told us like, once we got back to like civilization, we're having dinner. They're like, yeah. So we both said, can we just call the plane? <laughs> <laughs> and then I remember as we we're going down the, down, down the hill and like each little ridge we came over. There's like, another little, there's like another little ridge. I'm like, oh, I don't know, you know, and just we're kept going and you didn't say no. And I was like, all right, well, we're going to keep going and push, you know, and well, then- you had, a, you had a lot of reservation. I was really feeling your, you, you were so unsure and I think that was really, in my opinion, I think that was just for everybody else. Like, it was, yeah. you know, no, I had no, yeah. it was totally for everyone else. And I didn't need to kill a moose. Like we already had an amazing hunt. So but here's the thing. And I don't know if people listening can relate, or maybe you've been in a situation where you're on a hunt where there's multiple tags and multiple people in the party, obviously. And one of the tag gets filled 
And then it's, and you have plenty of time afterwards, but it's almost like the investment in the hunt or glassing or, or trying kind of like stops a little bit. Yeah. And it wouldn't have been fair had the roles been reversed, right. To where you filled a tag. And then I was, it was kind of like me on the line. And I don't know. I just think that everybody should be able to get to hunt equally as hard. And once my tag was filled and we still had five days, I was like, we're still hunting. Like, yeah, it'd be nice to hang out or whatever, but we're not here to hang out. We're here to get it done to see what we can see, even if that's only glassing. Right. So even if we're not going after something, you can still get out there, go sit on the knob and see what you can see. So I thought, I just felt like there was a responsibility to hunt as hard for you as we hunted for me. And then I remember we finally get down to the Creek, like, all right, it's not bluffy. We could get to the Creek. And then we start working our way back up the hill to where the moose were. We had two different birch pockets of trees to go to. We kind of had them where they were bedded. And then we were getting closer and closer. I'm like, are you sure? Like, it's kill time now. Like, we're getting in their bubble. Like, Well, we- you said at one point, well, should we do this? And I said, we haven't killed it yet. Like, let's just keep going, you yeah. know? But I knew we were getting in that mm-hmm. bubble where things were going to happen, you know? Yeah, and then sneak up and... We had the wind. It was really good because the wind was pretty gusty, so it was real noisy. And because mm-hmm. yeah. that last little patch too, we had to walk through some birch and some alders and stuff. Mm-hmm. So you know, and you're we're trying to like move the branches off of us, you know, so it's not just hitting our get a lot of that synthetic noise. Well, and a moose's ear is two feet long, you know, so they're they can hear everything. And then as we found out, you know, we sneak up to within fifty five yards of them, and they were kind of bedded in brush. And well, so. On the map, too, to paint a little bit bigger picture. So from where we were glassing, they were very distinctly in this patch of birch trees that was, like, green. And then there was, like, a line and it turned yellow. So we knew, like, we could really identify where they were. And when we got over there, I could see, like, okay, so from what we were seeing from a mile away, we are here. Like, we're we're in it. And we're kind of creeping forward. You're in front of me. And I'm, and I'm actually, at this point, starting to look behind me because I'm like, it should be right here. Yeah. That bull should be like, we should be we were in, their bed in its bed right yeah. now with it. And yeah, that's when we ended up, we were in that bed. With I think it. you saw it first. I did. It time like <laughs> well, and you were in front of me, but it was also so windy that I kept going, Hey, Hey, stop. Look, wait. And it was right there. And they were in front of us. They couldn't see us, but I could see, well, I could just see big old paddles sticking up yeah. and we were within 55 yards and then, yeah. I was just trying to, all I had was a headshot and I didn't want to take that. So, yeah, just waiting. And then I think if I remember correctly, that bull moved a little bit behind some trees. And then I moved up and you stayed there. Mm-hmm. I was filming it. Mm-hmm. And then I moved up maybe 20 yards just to try to get a different angle on him. And then I had his head and I was like, all right, as soon as he takes one step, I was like, I want to click the safety off. As soon as I clicked the damn safety off, they heard the safety, they which did. is crazy, you know. And, uh, Tika safety is not loud. It's no. but they heard that click. That but metallic. and also the wind died down kind yeah. of at the same time, and they heard that. And oh, it wasn't. It was, there was no hesitation. That I heard the safety. They heard the safety, and they were gone. Yep. So then you're like, well, let's try to work around the knob and try to get them. So yeah, I was really fortunate that it all played out like it did. But yeah, because then we went up around the knob, and it was way thicker than I was expecting. I figured because we were kind of in an opening and. 
I figured we'd just go around the knob and be open and we'd be able to see them, you know, where they were, but it just turned into really thick stuff. We're just kind of weeding through. And then I just figured it was kind of done at that point. You know, we were kind of working down back down the ridge towards camp. It was getting late. And then uh, we looked out and ended up catching a bull like 300 yards away, just feeding through the, or not feeding, but walking through the timber there and, Got set up on the trekking poles, cross the trekking poles, and use that as shooting sticks. And do you use mine? No, I use mine. You use yours? Yeah, just because I it was pretty quick. We didn't have a big window mm-hmm. to open up, and just kind of on that slant downhill, trying to get a yeah. good shooting position. So I'm watching range. them. I'm watching as you're getting set up and trying to figure out, you know. Because, too, with moose and, you know, it's like some other species where you have to have, there's their regulations. Like, you have to shoot a certain size. Yeah, you that know? area so, is 50 inches or four brow times. So, yeah. we knew the two that we saw were legal. Well over the yeah, yeah, they were legal bulls. So, and then just seeing that one again and, you know, it looked like the same bull. So, we thought, it, you know, we were good to go. Yeah. So. so, then you had shot and um, hit that bull good. But then he, when he moved forward, he moved from right to left and there was a small, there was just a little bit of like trees, birch trees, thick, you know, smaller, younger trees in the way. So he was covered for a minute and then he came back out and I'm spotting, I'm trying to spot for you. And I had to adjust just a little bit as he moved. And so I'm trying to make sure like, you know, make sure that I tell you to get back on the same bull. Cause we again thought that there was two within mm-hmm. that group. So, you know, that was a little high intensity for me just making sure but he was he was he had so much blood coming out that I well they're so big point. like i shot and with the 300 wind mag I, I didn't stay in the scoop and i didn't hear the whack normally animals you know you hear the whack of them hitting or see them flinch or something they're they're, he just, they're so tough like a tank he just stood there you know and i was like did i hit him did i hit him and you're like i see blood pumping out so i knew how to get another round in him so yeah just trying to follow just keep shooting you know i always shoot animals until they're down on the ground yeah. i'm not gonna just assume that the first shot's a, right. a fatal shot. So well, and even if sometimes I, you know, they're dead on their feet, it's but I want to be it, as quick and yeah, ethical it's our as due diligence yeah. as hunters to be, you know, as ethical yeah. as possible yeah. and you know make that a quick kill. So that was fun getting to. So we wrapped that up and we just pulled out our maps real fast and marked right where he was at, which wasn't super far. I think it was two hundred fifty yards or something like that. Yeah, and, um, walked over there and. Um, with my bull, it was out really in the open, you know, and he went down and then we went back to get Gabe cause they were sitting up on a, a hilltop behind us. So we went and got him. So we walked over to him well after he was down and expired your bull. I saw him, I was watching him through my binoculars and I saw him crash what I thought was like 90, I'm like 90% sure he's, he crashed, he's down, but walking up to your bull, I was a lot more apprehensive than my bull, which is just some funky thing with me. But when we walked over to him, I was like, oh, like, are you sure he's dead? Cause that thing will <laughs> oh, yeah. kill us. He is huge. Oh yeah. No bulls that they definitely charge people, you know, they come unglued and they will ruin your day pretty quick. So that was pretty damn fun. I mean, my bull, even I have scars from my bull after he was dead. He, Trying yeah. to move me, yeah. <laughs> through me. No, honestly, and I think that's something that's kind of, uh, you know, funny story, but we were just trying to get a couple pictures. So it was just you and I, we called them, let them, they knew where we were going to be. We again told them, you know, go ahead and come down. And um, we were just trying to have you move them for a couple pictures. And again, it was raining. So it was super slippery and any of like the, you know, uh, limbs or uh, trunks or anything on the ground, like it's just super slippery. And he kind of like the leverage got off with him. And then he ended up like throwing you into a tree. Yep. 
where he barely missed a branch. And then he, yeah, his antler like almost gored him. And it sounds kind of funny, but at the same time, like it was scary in that moment because the, the, your reaction to that, like you, I could tell it hurt you and you had just had this like about you where it's like, how bad is it? You know? But yeah, you were like bleeding out of your side. (laughs) I was not good. I did a bad scar. But again, just thinking about like, you can't just go shoot a moose. Because you can't freaking roll the thing by yourself. And we ended up using the guts of yours. So once we kind of got the one side done, we kind of ended up, because we wanted to go gutless, Mm -hmm. but we ended up pulling some of the guts to make it more leverage friendly to roll it, which is the only way we were able to get that rolled by ourselves. But yeah, fun times. It was. I'm ready to go back. I know. Is it? Like there's literally no way we're going to eat through all of the moose meat that we have and elk and deer and everything else. But I'm like, how do we, like, can we give some away so that we actually have a reason to go back and hunt moose again next year? I know. So much fun. It's so much fun. It was, it was a great trip. Everything about it was really, the weather, you know, was, was good for us. And the whole experience, whole experience getting engaged was pretty awesome. That was okay. Okay. So brief. So I end up shooting my, okay, here's a little even more, like maybe you don't even know this, but I was not super surprised that you, that you proposed to me on this trip, but I, you did it way different than I thought you were going to do it. And I never thought it was going to be a surprise. Like, cause I'm pretty much CSI. I'm always investigating every situation. And so I did not think it was gonna be a surprise. I thought I was going to know before and gotcha. got me. <laughs> yes, you did. Um, and so just so you know how freaking weird I think I was like, Oh, we're going to be flying in. He wants me to fly after him because he's going to have, he's going to have somebody <laughs> right. Listen to me. I'm such a girl. He's going to have somebody have gone out there and they're going to in stones. They're going to write, will you marry me? Like in the freaking mountain. So that when we fly in, I see this, will you marry me? And he's standing there when I get out of the plane with a ring or something stupid, crazy like that. Right. No, it wasn't that. And so after you got to kill something first. So after, after, yeah. <laughs> after we landed, so Gabe and I again flew in after Dustin and Jessica came in, I got out of the plane. I'm still thinking like, Oh, I'm going to get married. He's going to propose to me. And he doesn't, but he's like so excited. He's got like, you just were happy in the moment. Oh, yeah, I was happy in the moment too, but that's yeah. my place. So. And then, so then I was like, Oh, I guess he's not going to propose when we fly in. And then honestly, I never thought about it again after that. I was just like having so much fun hunting and stuff. So when I shot my bull and we walked up to it and took some pictures and just got some amazing videos and I notched my tag and, and I turn around and you're on one knee with a ring in your hand and you said what you said. And I was like, what? (laughs) Huh? I was like, did you hear me? (laughs) I was so surprised. I was so surprised in like a dumb way that I was like, Oh, he's proposing to me. And then here, so he, I was wearing a ring that my boys got me years and years ago for mother's day. It was just like, I call it my good luck ring. And I don't even remember this. Honestly, I freaking blacked out, dude. I like completely blacked out. I'm like ripping this ring off my finger and I shove it in my pocket and I take the ring from him. And then I was like, Oh, wait a minute. I only know this because the video, because Jess got the video of it, which I'm, glad and I'm also like kind of ashamed and then I give the ring back to you and I'm like oh I guess you're supposed to put this on my finger but yeah I was really surprised what did Gabe say that was my 
Well, I looked at Gabe. I was crying. I looked at Gabe and he I he had all this emotion. He said something though. I can't remember exactly what it was. It was so I can't believe he didn't ask me if he could marry my mom. That's no. what he said. Well, he did say that, but then he To which he said, Well, can I? And he said, Yeah. <laughs> I think it was something along the lines of we got a moose and you got proposed to or something yeah. like that. He's like, it was so, a good day. Um I always ask, again, I always ask my my people, what's your favorite part of the day? Or what was your favorite part of the trip? And so that night I asked him what his favorite part of the day was. And he said, you shot a, you shot, you shot a bull and you got proposed to. <laughs> Pretty good day. It was a good day. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, wrapping thoughts. I just wish Brody was there. That was the only thing that, you know, missed on the trip. I was hoping he would be there for it just so we could experience all that as a family. But we'll just have to do another trip where he goes and we get to experience that as a family. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. No, super fun. And it might not be for everybody, but dang, it's a good time. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, just everything, not just the hunt, but just the, the flight and the excitement of going and. Well, I think it's important to get kids outside, especially nowadays more than ever, you know, and my buddy Lee once said to me, you know, don't let school get in the way of a good education. And that made sense. You know, the boys had, Gabe had to miss some school for that, but his first week of school, he'll forget what eighth grade was, you know, but he'll never forget that trip. So I think that's important for parents to, you know, try to get their kids out in the wilderness and don't look at the stuff that's not really that important. You know, if they miss a football game or baseball Mm -hmm. game or basketball game or some school, you know, those are lifelong memories that, you know, they cannot erase. It's just ingrained in their, their vision. Yeah. And it'll change him forever. Totally. So change me forever. Stuck with you. (laughs) Um, So I know people want to know because they've been asking, how do you get everything back? And that's something that you talked about too. Logistically, once it's down, once you get back to, you know, wherever home base is for you before, you know, not even home base. Like, so we hunted out wherever we hunted and then we got back to Fairbanks, Mm -hmm. right? So from there, you had to fly to Sitka. I had to fly to Oregon. You know, people are asking, what'd you do with all that meat? And it's not even transporting and getting home. It's like, how do you get it cleaned how do you get it froze before you fly it home? So talk about that process. We were fortunate that we had some friends in Fairbank, North Pole area that totally opened their house up to us and kind of, we took over their garage and yard and butchered two moose for 12 hours in their backyard. And but yeah, so I was being Alaska resident in rural Alaska. I'm allowed to have Alaska um, known shippers account and people could get that. It just costs them money. I just don't have to, I get waived the, People in rural Alaska get waived the known shipper. So we just shipped everything, Alaska Air Cargo. But there are other companies. I know there's a trucking company. I can't remember the exact name of it, but they'll bring a semi down from Alaska every year. They have a couple semis they bring down to, I think, Montana, where you could kind of schedule to meet them. They come down to cross the border in Washington and go up to Montana. So anyone on the West Coast could kind of do that and use that as an option to get their horns, cape, and all their meat back. So. Mm-hmm. Um, Another option was uh, a lot of people drive up with a cooler, you know, and just it's not that far. I mean, yeah, it takes some time, but you could drive the Alcan in two days, you know, if you have two people driving. Is that an option right now with Canada and COVID? And I believe it things? is now. Okay. As long as you got the jab, but. Well, we won't discuss that. But, but yeah. Yeah. 
Um, but that's another option for someone to do that. And then there are just shipping companies. You could do, we had some stuff taken down the Fairbanks to Indian Valley meats and they'll ship. So if you have a processor that's going to process some stuff for you guys, um, we process most of our stuff. We got some jalapeno cheddar stuff. We did a hundred pounds. We did like 50, 50. So we did 50 pounds of summer sausage, which is really good. Very mild. Um, I love that stuff. It's, it's delicious. And then we did 50 pounds of jalapeno cheddar dogs, brats, um, which are also really, really good. I, I think that was a good, a good way to go with that. Absolutely. Some people can do that themselves, but Indian Valley did a really good job for us. They did. And then they'll ship it to you. They just call me up when it's ready and just had it shipped here and they just ship it Alaska air cargo. And that's at a discounted rate because they process it. So it's not paying. I don't know how that all works out with Alaska air cargo, but it's like processed, not processed, but because it's food grade mm-hmm. stuff, it's not, you don't get the same rate. So I think it's like 40 cents a pound you pay for shipping. So yeah. it makes it cheaper. So two then for shipping a rack, um, this is something we didn't know necessarily when we shipped ours home, we, um, had friends that got us a bunch of cardboard. So we um, basically just turned our moose antlers into like cardboard, you know, so we're just taping like, Oh, it was a process. Walmart parking lot. Walmart (laughs) parking lot. Go get some more tape. Um, But we um, taped them up, just put cardboard everywhere. We ended up buying like a pool noodle to do over some of the more prominent points. Mm -hmm. Um, And we did that way. That ended up costing us more money, which I wish that we would have known at the time. Um, All we had to do was cover the points. Cover the points and wrap it in bubble wrap. So that would have been a lot cheaper if you just buy some bubble wrap, go with a pool noodle and some duct tape. Um, But then you can take it to Air Cargo, um, Alaska Air Cargo, or however you're going to You could even check it in with your luggage, too, at that if it's under you can so mine ended up costing from fairbanks to eugene oregon four hundred and like sixty dollars that was on air cargo though for just yeah. my rack and then we shipped home how much meat did we take to eugene I think you guys took 450 pounds of meat total yeah okay so between jess and i we took 450 pounds which and then i took 200 pounds we took 100 pounds of indian valley meat and then we donated the rest to um zach who helped us out and North Pole. There, you know, there's other options. If you don't need that much meat or if you don't want to pay to have that much meat taken home, there are so many different places where you can call and have it donated. Um, there's, I don't know what they are specifically, but if you have friends in the area, reach out to them. If you can post on your, I, I don't know, there's just ways to get rid of things Absolutely. where, you know, people need the meat. Not everybody can just go out and go hunt. Maybe they're just, I don't know, got stuff going on. They can't do it. So um, if you want to take some, but you can't take it all, um, there's options, reach out to me. I'll try to help you get that figured out. If that is a predicament that you get yourself in, but yeah, there's options for it for awesome. sure. Um, I was a little floored when they told me how much it was going to be to get everything home. I was like, Nope, I don't need any of it No, But, um, think about the total cost of the trip. So ballpark number, we had four people, two hunters, one resident, one non-resident, um, and then two, two companies, which also adds to the flight costs. I think it cost ballpark with flights from, you know, incoming, you know, to Fairbanks yeah. and then outgoing to the field, all the meat shipment costs, the processing meat shipment costs, my $800 tag. I'm going to say total 
75 to 8,000. Okay. I would say. I'd say 8,000 to 9,000. Okay. Um, um, but that's with two people hunting, four people going. Yep. Yeah, it could definitely reduce the cost to, um, it was, it ended up being $1,700 a flight for us for the, the bush flight. So you could drop $1,700 right off the bat of that if you only had two people going. And then, <clears throat> right air and a lot of other transporters they'll just we had it where we could shoot a caribou and it would be no extra cost or if we shot a moose it would be an extra cost so we ended up paying for another flight yeah. coming back to get the second moose back yeah so you could do it a little cheaper yep and it all goes off your weight so we were light so we were able to get the one moose out on our first two flights. So when we packed in, um, when we flew into the field, we actually were like 400 or so pounds light, yep. which I was, I felt gypped. <laughs> I felt like I could have taken way more stuff out there. Um, but yeah, so that's where we were able to save a little bit of that for yep. the flight out. Um, yeah, no, all in all, it was fantastic time. I highly suggest that people go. Absolutely. Because I know so many people, it was a bucket list for me. And it's funny because I never really considered it being a moose hunt. You know, I thought about, yeah, maybe I'll buy the tag, yeah, you know, all that kind of stuff. But I was prepared for the caribou hunt. And then all of a sudden I had this walking tag, this gorgeous green metal. And I was like, ah, you know, and I'm like, I'm going to go moose hunting. And that was total bucket list for me. So if I can do it, anybody can do it. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just do your research, read books on it and stuff. And uh, there's other companies that'll kind of set you up and kind of put you in the right place for um larry bartlett does it up out of fairbanks i don't remember his company name right pristine adventures maybe i know he's booked up a couple of years because he's so sought after but that's a good way to do it too next we need to do a float hunt that'd be fun yeah my beer's gone All which right. i means this podcast is over We're done. <laughs> uh any parting thoughts Get kids outside, get them hunting, get them away from the computer screen. Yeah. I always ask people where they can be found online. Do you want to be found online? No, you can't find me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty humble. Okay. Well, don't look at him up. If you want to see him, you find me because yeah. I post him. I don't post anything. He doesn't post anything. No. I just look at cheap pictures. Although you did post your first reel today. Oh, and geez. I'm pretty proud of that. You're welcome. So funny. <laughs> so funny. Oh my gosh. All right, you guys, that is another podcast episode. Hopefully you enjoyed it. If not, blame him. It's All always right. my fault. Peace out. Once again, thank you for tuning into the show. We hope that your cup is full and you're ready to embrace your untamable vibe. If you enjoyed the show, could you do us a favor? Help us grow our audience by sharing your favorite episode on social media, sending the episode to a friend and leaving us a review online. We love to hear from you. One more thing, be sure to press that subscribe button and never miss a weekly episode. See you next week.